They really don't look like much. They're basically just big steel boxes with doors. But they become a ubiquitous symbol of the global shipping industry. They can be used across different modes of transportation, from ship to rail to truck. And whether you call them a Konex box, a sea can, or simply a shipping container, they've played a pivotal role in the transportation of goods and freight for the better part of 100 years. Nowadays, containers allow companies to move vast amounts of products from electronics to exotic foods more safely and more cost-effectively than ever. Over the past 40 years, the annual amount of goods carried by containers went up from just over 100 million to 1.85 billion metric tons. But then some things happened that no one saw coming. A global pandemic followed by a record surge in container shipping, which have only further illustrated the incredible potential and market dynamics that have made the intramodal system the resilient marvel of supply chain innovation that it is. Welcome back to Breaking Bottlenecks Season 2, The Resilient Port, a special insider's podcast series brought to you by the Vancouver Fraser Port Authority. I'm your host, writer and historian Aaron Chapman. In this episode, we're going to explore how the pandemic has served as a stress test for container and intermodal logistics, importers and exporters alike. We'll also dig into the record-breaking surge that came after the lockdowns in the back half of 2020 and find out how collaboration, infrastructure investments and innovation in the supply chain continue to pay huge dividends today. Here at the Port of Vancouver Centurm Terminal, you can't miss the colorful stacks of cargo containers. Those big orange cranes are constantly working to on and offload both Canadian goods destined for overseas and imported goods awaiting delivery to consumers across the continent. But the port itself is only one part of a much greater network, a complex web of interconnected operations that have to coordinate and cooperate to ensure stability, even during times of calm. And of course, the past couple of years have been anything but calm, which is where our theme of resilience comes into play once again. A bottleneck usually occurs around a single point of failure, but the pandemic tested the supply chain at multiple junctures all at once. Demand for some consumer goods skyrocketed, while others saw demand drop off a cliff. Dwell times soared. Then there was the impact of our growing dependence on e-commerce, a force that cannot be contained, if you'll pardon the pun. The biggest bottleneck is congestion. Too many containers are at the port, including loaded and empty containers. Incoming cargo and how are they going to manage them is still really much a constraint. That is Raymond Sang, the vice president and head of ocean products for DB Schenker Canada, a leading global logistics provider with nearly 75,000 employees and 2,100 locations around the world. He was kind enough to invite me to his office at the Burrard Building in downtown Vancouver to discuss the container issue in greater detail. Raymond, welcome to Breaking Bottlenecks. Yeah, Aaron, thank you uh, for having me here. Raymond, you've been in this business for decades. How does the fallout from COVID compare to other crises you've experienced over the course of your career? Yeah, myself have been in this industry for more or less 40 years. The ocean for me is my uh, DNA, right? But the only thing is i never seen this before. It's totally unprecedented. So every day we just have to face a different challenge. You know, in our business, it's basically a supply and demand, right? When the uh, COVID start hitting us, okay, we have a lot of uncertainty. And then because of the uncertainty, the ocean carrier reduced the sailing. And then they also uh, have this surface disruption. So we do not know, okay, what's happening until Q3. When the demand starting to pick up, 
And then everybody, you know, trying to find a solution to take care of the demand. For the ocean carrier to reinstate the surface is not like overnight. So end up we see, okay, the ocean freight rate increase by over 10 times in comparison with uh, 2020 in 2021. So this creates a major issue for majority of our import customers. Yeah, obviously those costs have to get passed along to the consumer eventually. But I imagine that's not the only pain point. What are the other ripple effects? Well, first of all, the cargo will be delayed. For example, some of the customers, they have a promotion, okay? They have seasonal items that they're supposed to have a lead time of 50 days and now become 80 days or not even there because a lot of the merchandise is still on board the ships, anchoring outside waiting for berthing of the ships, right? So this is actually become a norm in 2021. The other thing that became a norm in 2020 and 2021, unfortunately, is the shortage of empty shipping containers. What's your experience been on that front? Well, container shortage, okay, obviously is one of the issues as far as supply chain is concerned. Ocean carrier space, okay, is one. And then equipment availability is the others, right? So uh, what we experience is, yes, we do have equipment, maybe from the main ports, okay, like uh, Shanghai, Ningbo, Yantian, and all these places. But then the outports would be the one, you know, holding the short end of the sticks because they do not have the equipment, they don't have the empty to reposition back to those places. So the ocean carrier seeing, okay, that the freight rate is so lucrative, okay, might as well, instead of uh, taking loaded containers, which usually are the low value, okay, uh, lightweight paper, you know, all these returning back to Asia, they basically not taking any of those bookings. They just empty repositioning the boxes back quickly so that they could turn around uh, for another loaded cargo coming back to uh, North America. As much of a pain as it's been for everyone up and down the supply chain, the container challenge has put Canadian exporters in a particularly tough spot because every can that has gone back to Asia empty has left one less to carry their cargo. I'm talking about iconic homegrown products like peas and lentils, grain and lumber. This has meant some shipments have been left sitting on the dock or have had to find other routes to foreign markets. Thankfully, the hot housing situation in the U.S. has provided another destination for exporters of Canadian forest products, but alternatives haven't been that easy to find for everyone. As some folks down at the port like to say, it's the railways that move Canada's economy. So I decided to go back to Dan Breslin from CN Rail to get his take on the situation. He told me it's definitely been a learning experience. You know, I don't think anybody has a plan for a pandemic and I don't think anybody has a an understanding of what's going to happen so if someone were to say okay you know god forbid there's a another pandemic I think we would be able to uh, wind down probably in a, in a different way and then I think knowing the signs of when things are changing that we could crank it up three weeks four weeks sooner it's a it's it's a big deal so that you know you don't get the highs and the lows and, and, and you're able to, 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 you know, attack the problem faster and react faster. So with particular respect to the container crunch, what would you change about your approach or response? How could you improve the resiliency of your operations? That was, was something that I think we could maybe do differently in the future is, is try and find alternative gateways sooner to move those boxes to, to get them back uh, to the ports quicker. 
even if it's south, I mean, looking at all different gateways to to, to evacuate uh, empty containers. And, uh, you know, we, we figured that there would be, you know, a lot more loaded exports. Um, now we know that during this time, if, if the market is strong like that, then the container is going to want to get to Asia probably empty. So have an empty plan instead of a plan that incorporated repositioning of boxes into, uh, into export markets. Um, though we're, we're pushing that quite hard now to try and get that, that going again. But I believe even the Port of Vancouver published that they've had the largest amount of empty containers loaded onto vessels here in the last little while. Dan, I know the container shortage also caused some unique challenges depending on the type of commodity in question. Um, Agriculture products, for example, had a tough time going from bulk to containers, then back to bulk. Demand also differed wildly from product to product. That must have been tricky to manage. One thing you always kind of get is there's always some commodities that are a little lower every year and some commodities are way up. Um, I don't think last year was one of those years. I think there was also a record grain crop going on at the same time. And, and the CN team did achieve, you know, record volume of grain and, and grain that we moved. And, you know, maybe that's a comment to the resiliency of the team is being able to react to this, you know, large intermodal surge, but at the same time, take care of the existing and still set records in other commodities. So. I would say that, uh, you know, not all commodities did what they should have done. I don't believe that we moved a lot of the petrochemical side of our business. What's interesting is, is that um, on the intermodal side, on the international intermodal side, even though there was that big drop at the beginning of the year in volume, we, we filled that gap in the second half of the year and made it, you know, back to our baseline forecast, which was, uh, which just goes to show you how high, how much more volume came to, to fill that gap that was left or that hole that was left in the first half. Agriculture shipments weren't the only thing that saw huge numbers in the second half of the year. Other bulk commodities like potash were also strong, as were consumer goods. So I decided to head back to the Port of Vancouver and check in again with Vice President of Operations and Supply Chain, Peter Exotta. He told me managing fluctuations in demand can be tricky when there's no one-size-fits-all solution. But there can also be an upside. Well, certainly um, the Port of Vancouver is really, as we, as we often say, is Canada's port. The volumes and types of cargo reflect the broader economy in, in the country. That diversity means that there's a stability in demand and a stability in the economic ac- activity of, of, of running uh, ports and, and transportation through Canada and certainly through the Port of Vancouver. Unlike some ports around the world that are very ne- more narrowly focused on a single commodity, some ports in Australia, for example, are very focused on uh, either agriculture or, or, or coal. Uh, in the case of Los Angeles and Long Beach and San Pedro Bay, it's almost exclusively containers, whereas Vancouver uh, really serves um, all of Canada with its facilities. And so we like to refer to it as a diversified or uh, a diverse cargo mix. It's kind of a mutual fund of cargoes in the sense that if something's up, usually uh, something else might be not so strong and vice versa. I also asked Peter how he'd ranked the performance or resilience of the port and its partners over the past 24 months both in general and when it comes to containers specifically. I think we, as a as a port and transportation community in Canada, very accustomed to looking at things that are happening and potentially uh, adapting to, to shocks uh, that occur in the system. Um, through the pandemic, we've had some 
challenging times, uh, you know, requiring response from service providers. But when I look at uh, some of the metrics that we track, you know, cycle times for rail cars uh, have been very, very consistent. On the container side of things, our service levels have certainly been a shining light in a North, from a North American perspective in terms of uh, the lack of congestion that's occurred. And that's not by accident. That's service providers looking at the forecast, looking at their capabilities, in some cases having to meter uh, volume into the system to make sure that we're protecting our customers and, and, and ensuring that cargo gets uh, through the facilities and to its final destination in a reasonable amount of time. I'm glad Peter mentioned forecasting because along with rail modeling and other preemptive planning, that's a big part of the reason we haven't witnessed even bigger bottlenecks at the port. Stick around. After a quick break, we'll dig deeper into how all that planning continues to pay off. You are listening to Breaking Bottlenecks Season 2, The Resilient Port, a special insider's podcast series brought to you by the Vancouver Fraser Port Authority. I'm your host, Aaron Chapman. It's no secret the global supply chain has been severely tested over the past few years, but we're shining a spotlight on the ingenuity, agility, and yes, resilience displayed by Canada's largest port and its partners in the face of that incredible adversity. Check out the show notes to learn more about any of the guests featured on this episode. And if you like what you're hearing, please hit follow wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Before the break, Peter Exotta mentioned how accurate forecasting helps keep goods moving along in challenging times. But that's only one of the ways the port and its partners have found ballast over the past couple of years. Pandemic pressures and the explosion in container shipping caused by changes in consumer habits also created a need for greater transparency and visibility. And that line of sight in turn required collaboration, innovation, and planning to ensure ongoing fluidity along every link in the supply chain. But back in the offices of OOCL Canada, President Grace Liang believes that level of cooperation already existed long before COVID came along and that the pandemic only further reinforced the relationship. I think actually the pandemic has proven the people and organizations were extremely resilient. The global container shipping system is, is one large interconnected network, okay? And any little disruptions can never be localized. And that we should always anticipate there will be ripple effects, you know, that is going to affect the rest of the world. And I think it's going to make us stronger. But actually, because of the pandemic, carriers actually collaborate with our customers much closer because we understand we need to improve the efficiency and expediency, you know, uh, during this difficult time between the organizations. I always talk about technology because I think all companies need to increase the leverage of technology. You know, to improve the experience, you know. I think you're aware the carriers actually have launched quite a bit of digital online platforms. And actually, um, all these initiatives are very well received uh, by the market. In the past, it takes a while to have industry to accept certain new initiatives or innovation idea. But now I think it's just a click, you know, people say, yeah, try it. People are more receptive to any kind of new uh, initiatives. I hope you agree. I do. We've really seen people using data and technology in so many new and innovative ways lately. And we're going to talk a lot more about supply chain visibility in particular on the next episode. But look... We all know people can sometimes be resistant to change, to new ways of doing business. So I asked Grace how organizations can ensure they have the resilience required to roll with the punches. 
Agility, resilience is nothing that you just happen today. You have to integrate and build into your company culture. I think that is the most important. That means you are always on alert. You always build your resilience just in the event of these unplanned situation that occurs or unplanned disruptions happen, that you're able to react to it. Because today is a pandemic, two years down, there could be something else, right? But we always ask ourselves, how can we be ready before it comes? The huge challenges, you know, in the past 18 months and people have clearly been severely affected. No question about it. But all the goods are still moving, are still flowing. We all can still buy things in the store and we can order online. And when it comes to Canada, we look at our exporters, they continue to trade, they continue to ship. The thing is, past year or two, they have shown that the global supply chain is actually remarkably resilient. You can never prepare for the future, but you have to prepare today and try to mitigate. And we try to anticipate what we can do. In our industry, in our business, challenges is almost like a given. It is just a matter of how we communicate with our service providers and work together and collaborate to make it work. I'm glad Grace used the word anticipate there because anticipating problems before they happen has also been one of CN Rail's key to success. Rail modeling and forecasting have been incredibly important due to the complexity of Vancouver's rail network. But even as those tools become more sophisticated and yield more data, CN's Dan Breslin believes the industry's success is still ultimately rooted in relationships. It, it really does, you know, come down to collaboration, hard work, you know, being able to um, to work closely with your operator partners, and 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 you know, the port authority has a big role to play. You know, the, uh, Vancouver uh, can be a facilitator, an enabler, and can can bring people together to talk and uh, and work on, on on new new ideas and, and and new things that we can do to be better supply chain partners and, and and do the right thing. So I mean, I think we're all pretty connected. I like to think that. The port authorities, the operators that operate in Canada, the rails. I, I mean, I, I think we, we do have good dialogue and we do have good constructive discussions around, you know, how do we grow? How do we do better? How do we digitize? How do we offer a better product to the, to the customer, whether it's the ocean carrier or their customers, our customer's customer, which is the cargo owner. So I think we're in a good place. We just... We just gotta kind of keep going, keep working at it. It never ends. You just keep going. And back at the port's office at Canada Place in downtown Vancouver, Peter Exotta agrees with both Grace and Dan. It's all about cooperation. Certainly the foundation for collaboration is quite strong in, in Canada and uh, in the Port of Vancouver going back quite a number of years. Um, that dialogue is uh, something that many ports attempt to do. I'd say our success at it has been uh, above average. Uh, and those are the kinds of relationships that you draw on when, you know, kind of the chips are down to respond and to, to find a pathway through uh, some of those challenges. So were those relationships strengthened through the pandemic, I would say absolutely for sure. But it's been a, a, a we've had a long history of, of developing and working with those relationships to build uh, both operating and infrastructure solutions to the challenges that are emerging. One of the cornerstones of any good relationship, be it romantic or business, is of course trust. 
Organizations have to share sometimes sensitive data and operational information with their partners in order to ensure they aren't leaving anyone in the dark, or worse still, accidentally working against each other. So please, join us again next time when we're going to talk about the importance of trust and transparency and examine how the improved information sharing and visibility that have resulted from the pandemic could be a boon for the shipping industry for years to come. Please follow Breaking Bottlenecks wherever you get your podcasts. And to learn more about the port's operations, you can always visit portvancouver.com. I'm Aaron Chapman. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.